Good morning, Hub Church. So as Robin said, my name is Joy. Uh, and just a little bit more information about me. I'm married to Tim, who's a barrister, uh, and we have three sons. We've been part of Community Church Harlesden for 15 years now, since it was planted from Basingstoke Community Churches. And it's always really good to keep up the connection uh, through Forge. And so I'm really grateful for the invitation to speak today. Obviously, I wish it was in person. Uh, and uh, I don't know how the last year has been for you, but personally, I'm about ready to get off the corona coaster now. Um, there's definitely been some positives. It's been really good to spend more time with the kids and not be commuting. But um, it's been really challenging at times as well, hasn't it? And I'm really looking forward uh, to being able to be with and actually see people a bit more. I think it's great that you're studying the book of Daniel during the season. I love this book so much so, in fact, that our youngest son is called Daniel. Um, perhaps it's partly because Daniel is an advisor to the government. And that's something that both Tim and I do in the course of our work. Of course, the reason you're studying it now is because of the parallels with the current situation we're facing. God is to be found at strange times and in times of disruption. And for the Israelites, this was exile to a foreign land. And for us, it's the pandemic. Obviously not the same situation, but potentially some similar feelings of, being, of things being turned upside down, perhaps feeling out of control. So today's story... This is perhaps one of the most famous and dramatic Old Testament stories. I was reading it to my Daniel just a couple of weeks ago, and it is one that many of us have known since childhood. I was listening to Obama's autobiography, Barack Obama, and apparently this was the passage that was preached at his private service just on the morning of his inauguration. He took heart from the fact that God would be with him in whatever fiery furnace he would face during his years in office. But let's read the story together. I'm reading from the NIV, Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the hoot, the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. 
and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before their king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to save you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects and governors and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. So you will recall from the previous chapter that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, which Daniel both told him what it was and interpreted for him, leading Nebuchadnezzar to worship Daniel's God. However, here at the start of chapter three, it seems Nebuchadnezzar's amazement at the power and might of God has faded somewhat. 
In fact, it seems that the statue he builds is a direct attempt to counteract the dream and take matters into his own hands. You see, in the dream he had, only the head was made of gold and ultimately his kingdom was divided. The statue he builds is made completely of gold and he demands that the whole kingdom unite by bowing down to this idol. And of course, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refuse to do so. Even when the king gives them this very specific challenge to do it again, they refuse. And as we all recall from the vivid story, this means they get thrown into the fiery furnace and yet are saved. This is, of course, an absolutely amazing story of bravery, of choosing to do the right thing, whatever the consequences, and of God's faithfulness and of his presence with his people, even as they are thrown into the furnace. And there's so much to say about this passage, um, but I just want to focus on four things which I think were key for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego as they approach the situation and which are true for us today as well. So firstly, they know who is really in charge. Don't you think so many things become easier when we start by focusing on who God is and that he is ultimately on the throne? Daniel actually means God is my judge or God has judged. And a key theme throughout the whole book of Daniel is that God is at work behind the scenes, that he is sovereign and ultimately in control. For I reminded us of that a few weeks ago when we were looking at chapter one. There's what we can see happening and then there's what God is doing behind the scenes. Of course, at the moment for us, it might feel really difficult to hold on to that and impossible to work it out. However, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew that God was their judge, that he was ultimately in control and that first and foremost, their actions needed to glorify him. Who they were really serving, who their king was, was something that was settled for them. They knew who was their judge. And it is something that we can know too. Personally, I don't find it too helpful always to try to work out what it is that God is doing behind the scenes. And I'm not sure it's always for us to know. But I do find it helpful to think about living for an audience of one, knowing who my ultimate judge is. And I find that a really helpful starting point when thinking how to respond in difficult situations. Secondly, they make the right choice. When it came to it, there was a decision to be made and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego made the right choice. Now, for most of us, we won't face quite such a stark choice. Bow down to this idol or be thrown into a fiery furnace. Of course, sadly, there are Christians around the world where the church is persecuted who do face a similar life and death decision. However, for us, the choices that we make at work and within our communities are likely to be more subtle. As Brueggemann says, these Jews are skilled in the tricky practice of faith wherein truth speaks to power. Such speaking is characteristically an act of daring and cunning and sometimes a risky act of defiance. For us, we can neither completely collude with power nor retreat into a context where we don't face those choices anymore. This story, and in fact so many of the other narratives in Daniel, such as in chapter 6, Show us how to be absolutely in the world, engaged in that negotiation of how to speak truth to power 
and truth into other situations, but also not of the world, in the world and yet not of the world. That is our call. Thirdly, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have but if not faith. Now, when we studied the book of Daniel in Community Church Halston a few years ago, there was a short phrase in verse 18, which hit me between the eyeballs and completely uh, changed how I thought about quite a lot of things and stuck with me ever since. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are sure that God can save them and they say that they that he will deliver them from Nebuchadnezzar's hand. But they say, even if he does not, they won't bow down to this idol. In other words, their faith in God is not conditional on what God does for them. Their determination to make the right choice and to honour God is fully independent of the outcome. Now, I was thinking of preaching this entire sermon on those few words, but then I listened uh, to a much better sermon than I could ever preach by Dr Martin Luther King. It's on YouTube and it's from 1967 and it's called But If Not. Now, But If Not is the King James translation of this verse um, in verse 18, where we have even if he does not. And Dr Martin Luther King, who was obviously one of the leaders of the civil rights movement in America, preached this sermon to the people um, that he was encouraging to carry on in their uh, fight for equality. They were speaking truth to power through peaceful protest. And of course, he and many others lost their lives during the struggle. What an example of but if not faith. And he says this in the sermon. I do encourage you to listen to it. Ultimately, you must do right because it's right to do right. And you've got to say, but if not, you must love ultimately because it's lovely to love. You must be just because it's right to be just. And you must be honest because it's right to be honest. Now, I wonder if you have ever faced a situation where you've had to say, but if not. But if, but if God doesn't do what I need or want, I will still choose to honour him. Were you tempted instead to say, but if not, I'll take matters into my own hands? A bit like Nebuchadnezzar, who tried to change the course of his future by building that statue. Now, one of the biggest tests of faith for us over, over recent years and living in Harlesden has been trusting God for where the boys would go to secondary school. I realise compared to the persecuted church uh, and the example of Dr King, this hardly seems a big issue. But a lot of people uh, that the boys were at school with were leaving the area to go to areas with better secondary schools. And I consistently felt that God said we needed to trust him. But there was a point, probably when my eldest was in year five, where I started to think, but if not, well, that may be when we need to leave. In other words, but if not, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Now, I'm not saying that it wouldn't have been uh, that God might not have called us out of Harlesden and he may still do so. But my heart at that point was not right. My heart was, I will trust you as long as you deliver us a good outcome. But if not, maybe I'll take matters into my own hands. I'll get back in the driving seat. Thanks, Lord. I did realise the error of my raise and, and returned to a better form of but if not faith. But as it, and as it turns out, God did provide an amazing place for Theo. Uh, it turns out we could trust him after all. 
And I suppose another instance where we see this kind of but if not faith and where it becomes most obvious is when Christians are faced with terminal illness. And we offer pray for healing and that is of course the right thing to do. But having walked that journey with my own father and with many friends, there is a kind of but if not faith that rises, which kicks in and which to me is stronger than a faith which says God is definitely going to heal me or God must heal me. Instead, it's a faith which says whatever happens, I will honour God and he will honour me. I really believe the faith that we are called to is the but if not kind of faith. And finally, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego experience the presence and the rescue of God. It's a miraculous, wonderful act of rescue. This fourth individual is seen in the fire and the three men are delivered unharmed. Isn't that a wonderful demonstration of the promise that God makes 365 times to either an individual or to groups of people in the Bible? Fear not, I will be with you. How many times have you been so glad of that promise, especially over the last year? In a situation where we can't be with one another, how grateful are we for Emmanuel, God with us? When absolutely nothing, no hardship, no trouble, no danger, no death can separate us from his love. My gran was in hospital for the last six weeks of her life last year and for various complicated reasons to do with quarantine and moving wards, she, no one was able to visit her for most of that time. It was really tough for her and for all of us. But I was really glad that we could at least pray that she knew Emmanuel, God with her. One of my friends, someone in our church who's a nurse, was seriously ill with COVID during the first lockdown. When the ambulance came to pick her up, I couldn't even give her or her husband a hug. She had to go all on her own to the hospital. But people all over the world were praying for her and she testified to a really uh, real sense of God's presence in the ambulance and as she went on her way. And in her case, by the time she reached the hospital, her stats had reversed and she was able to come home. It was a miraculous turnaround in events. But of course, the promise that we have is that death is not the end. Even if the worst happens, when the worst happens, we still experience the presence and rescue of God as we press from this life into eternal life with him. So church, I thought we could uh, finish by joining together in saying this prayer. If you want where you are at home, please join with me in the words on the screen. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm convicted and encouraged by the faith of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These three friends didn't worship you because of the gifts you gave them, but because of the God you were to them. They'd rather be delivered into your presence through the fire than worship some other false god just to escape the fire. Father, forgive me when my worship of you is based on my circumstances. I'm quite capable of doubting your love when life gets complicated and painful. I want to worship you before there's a fire, when I'm in the fire, if I'm delivered from the fire, or if you should choose to take me home through the fire. Such a longing isn't wishful thinking, but a promised reality because of Jesus. Jesus is our faithful saviour, 
who endured the fiery trial of the cross for us. No matter the temptation, trial or trauma, Jesus is with us and for us. Life may not be pain-free for us, but it will never be Christ absent. Hallelujah. Amen.